This is Red Pup Pod. Red Pup Pop. A podcast. Red Pup Pop. From Red Hog Publications. Red Pup Pop. Red Pup Pop. Whether you want to publish with Red Hog Publications or you're just interested in how the process works, this episode is designed to give you a better understanding of how a book happens. And so with me, I'm Richard Deller, by the way, and with me is Editor-in-Chief Robert Knipe and Project Coordinator Patty Thompson. We're going to try to explain that. How does that work? Well, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> That's true. I feel like I'm going to be incredibly opinionated on this particular episode. <laughs> well, some of it comes from our experience that we've had with writers, and it's a learning process for everybody as you go through it. And so certain things we've picked up that we didn't know two years ago that we now understand uh, is important. So what this episode is designed to do is to help everybody understand where we are in the process. So let's talk about what we do publish. There's a fair amount of things that we're very open to. Clearly, we started with history, um, memoirs. We've also delved quite heavily into poetry. We've even recently started with our novels, so there's not a lot that we'll say no to, although there are things that we don't feel like we're the experts at handling. I'll even publish a murder confession if you're willing to stand behind it after it. People will read that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd read yeah, that. They'll, they'll, they'll read that. I mean, anything, you know. The, the memoirs and the history are especially popular, and uh, we've, we've become, according to, the, to some of the poets that we've published, one of the leading uh, poetry publishers in North Carolina, if not the country. We've got poets from all over the country, you know, asking us to uh, look at their work. Um, We're even doing children's books as well. So, you know, we've, we've got the capabilities to do high-quality color graphics printed works so that works for children's books some of it requires more work than others because i think of children's books as being intensely uh laborious because you've got to match images with words and so there's a bit of a trick to that that we're one of the things we're learning about this yeah and i i would dare say one of the first children's books that we handled it was submitted to us as a narrative it was like a page and a half um, word document and I had to explain to the author, interesting story, where are the pictures? Which was kind of interesting because I guess she had assumed we would do the illustrations and we don't. Right, yeah. So that would be one thing I would let anyone know. Everyone thinks that they've got a children's book in them. Hey, I do too, but I don't have the skills to do the artwork. So if anyone is interested in submitting a children's book, I would suggest that you not only have your narrative, but... Also have in mind your illustrations, whether you do it and or you contract someone to do it. But we do a complete project, so you have to submit to us your narrative, your story, as well as the artwork that comes together. And if you need someone to do your illustrations, we have a short list. We know some people that could do it for you. But a children's book typically does require illustrations. And it helps hugely to uh, query the publisher as to how they would like to receive that that material, what software that uh, works the best with the publisher. We've published children's books with different kinds of uh, art in them, from uh, paintings, which we've had to scan, to uh, digital uh, artwork. 
which comes in, you know, already ready to, to put in the computer because it's already there. Uh, so it helps to let the publisher know what you're working on and how they would like to have it presented, whether you have an artist in mind or whether we need to put you in touch with one. So asking the publisher these questions is, is very, very important for all aspects of a project you'd like to do with, uh, with a publisher. Yeah, we, we actually have about eight paintings in my office right now for a children's book, and the largest one is 40 by 30. That's a pretty large canvas. So we're going to have to get someone to take photographs of it. So we just want folks to know, again, if you're thinking children's books, think in terms of what your art, what form, what media it's in, so that we can bring out the best colors when we um, put it into published form. And remember, in this print-on-demand world that we live in here at Red Hawk, color is a little more expensive than uh, it is in the uh, 10,000 copy print that you do uh, with the national stuff. So if you're going to do a children's book, it's going to be a little more expensive on the retail side because of the color than uh, most books that are out there on the market like that. And two points I'd make. One, it doesn't necessarily have to be drawings. It could be photographs. Uh, you, You can get creative about that sort of thing. And the other thing is you also might need to think about artwork even if you aren't doing a children's book because there's yes. always a cover <laughs> that goes along with any book that invites people to come in and read it. So you really want to think about what's going to be on that cover. Yes, and then history books that have uh, images with them, even poetry books that we've had that uh, artists will take uh, photographs to go along with their, with their poems. These particular kinds of elements need to be given to the publisher in particular formats. You know, JPEG formats, TIFF formats. You always have to think in black and white instead of color because most of the books like that we do are always in black and white. We can't make color look like color when it's black and white, of course. Uh, Whether the the art is, is large because they don't make a scanner bed large enough to do a painting the size of the one that Patty was just talking about. If you can have your art camera ready or have your art already scanned into these formats, it makes it go a lot faster. And even when you're designing your your narrative, giving us little clues as to where you would like a picture to appear inside of a, of a, of a manuscript, that helps speed up the process. Because sometimes if we farm these things out to a student, one of our graphic arts students, They'll not be as familiar with the subject matter as the artist might be, but with the artist's help or the creator's help, you're, they're able to uh, lay out your book correctly without, uh, without really getting to know it so well. Yeah, and think about where the book, what the book is going to look like as an end product and then back up from there. So that would give you an idea of picture placements and that sort of thing. There's really only one that I can think of type of book that we, we really can't do, and that's because of such limited interest on the part of the buying public, and that would be books on with strict genealogy layouts. You know, this person begat that person kind of thing. Those are probably cost prohibitive in terms of being able to, for us to produce them uh, because of the limited viability of that sort of thing. But everything else is pretty much open, right? Yeah. I would say so, it, it, and it really boils down to the submission guide, guidelines. If you've been to our website, we actually have on there for free. You can. It looks like you're ordering it, but again, it's free. You can download our submission guidelines, and in the guidelines, it tells you more or less what type of email you're going to send to us to, to send your proposal. 
so you're going to send an email that says we're looking for um, what your time frame is. Have you submitted it to other publishing houses? Um, what is the topic? Who do you think your market is? Is there art involved? You know, beyond just the cover, the back and front. So when we get that email with the attached manuscript, we get to look at the email and get a really good first quick read at what it is that we're going to open up when we look at your manuscript. We'll know if it's history, children's books, poetry, memoirs, etc. So we always tell people, get that submission guideline, look it over, and, and stay true to it. You know, follow the line, the directions, so that we're able to figure out what it is in a glance when we look at that email. And then there's no surprises when we look at the manuscript. And that's kind of what I would recommend someone to do initially. If you're thinking about publishing with us, please look at the guidelines. It's online, redhawkpublications.com. And also there on redhawkpublications.com, you'll see examples of the product that we've already published. The entire website is broken down into, you know, the various kinds of, of, of books that we've published, history, poetry, memoir, etc. And you'll be able to see, you know, the kind of stuff that we've done in the past and how it is presented. There's also a PDF version of our current catalog available for download for free, too, that you can get even more information from because, you know, there's things that are that are easier for us to do and there's things we've never done before. You know, we don't want you to not bring us a, a, a project because we've never done it before. But at the same time, there's some work that you can do that will help speed up your process, will help us realize what it is you'd like to do uh, ahead of time that will make uh, your product shine better. And we'll also go as far as to say Robert and I will meet with anybody. You know, if you have a seed of an idea for a book or even if it's written, meet with us. We do it by Zoom. We can do it in person. Um, those initial consultations that we have with our authors are very handy. It's a way for us to explain our process and for the author to think of uh, other questions they may not have had earlier. So we, we do like to speak with the writers right up front so that Everything's more or less on the table, and there's no surprises, and they're aware of our process. They know if we have a backlog. They know if we can't promise it's going to be out in the next month or two, it's going to be three or four months. Um, they'll understand the marketing aspect of it because we do ask our authors to be champions and, and help market their own books. So that's kind of taken place early in the process so that everyone's on the same page. We ask them to sign a contract as far as that goes. So, again, that they're familiar with, with what we do and how we do it and that they're okay with it. Uh, we've had writers that have come in with an idea, no manuscript, and so our guide guidance of them helps them as they go through that process. We've also had others that came in with a full manuscript, and they are pretty much ready to go, or it's, it's close enough finished that they could go back and begin the revision process. So you don't really have to have anything finished to begin it, it just depends on how you work best. If you want to know the parameters before you start, you know, we can have a conversation before you begin your writing. If you've written it or partially got it done, then uh, we can help guide it as it's coming into the home stretch any number of different ways. That's one of the things that really places us above um, vanity presses, but but especially above those folks who would like to, to publish. But are not interested in doing self-publishing. If you listeners out there have, you know, visited any of the of the self-published stuff that's out there today, you'll probably discover lots of products that are, you know, either not edited or they're badly edited. Um, 
full of typos, full of um, stuff that's just not been read and been nurtured. One of the things you'll get from, from this program for your manuscript is we will nurture you to where you will create the best product you possibly can, the best piece of art you can. And sometimes that means that we will give you suggestions that will send you back to the drawing board. We've got a couple of novelists that we've sent back to the drawing board a couple of times, and they have, like champions, uh, done the rewrites, done the cuts, come back, and um, we've got a couple of them on the precipice now of being published that are a lot better books than they were when they got here. And it's not just us, and uh, I would say it's more 90% them, because they had the wherewithal to take their work that they care for and cut it, or rewrite it, or reconsider it. And that takes a lot of gumption, because a lot of us see our art as our children, and it hurts us when we have to do things that... uh, that, that means cutting something that, you, that you've worked hard on. I've seen our editing notes, particularly with some of the novels, and it's, I don't want to use the word brutal, but let's use it. Um, you have to lose 75 pages. <laughs> now, if you're an author and each word is your baby, you know, that's 75 pages worth of words that somehow you need to, to kind of shake loose. And you know what? To their credit, our authors have taken those notes very, very positively, and they've done it. They've done the work. The books stand for themselves when they're over. I am so proud of, of what we're doing with these upcoming novels. Well, Robert told me something a long time ago. I think, it, I think it was you that told me this. It's not what the writer writes. It's what the reader reads. And so in the end analysis, it's all about what shows up in front of a reader. And even if I have sweated blood for those 75 pages that I now have got to sacrifice, if it makes the book better, I got to do it, Right. Exactly. That was that was a piece of advice given to me by an instructor that I had at Michigan State University when I was up there for a special program in writing, where I had a certain scene in a in a story, and he says this scene's got to go, and it was about a grandmother, and he said Grandma's got to go, and I go like, but this is funny, and he says like, yes, it's funny, it's it's just terrific humor, and he said, but save her for another story, she does not belong here. You have to remember it's not what the writer writes, it's what the reader reads. And this is not part of this narrative. It, it jars it, it interrupts it. So I took that to heart and it's been good instruction. I think it speaks to the idea of figure out what the scope of the manuscript is going to be. You know, you can't kitchen sink it and talk about your life and the time when you were five and all that if it doesn't have anything to do with the story you're trying to tell. Well, that's true. That's what that's what this man had told me. It doesn't resonate. You know, it has to resonate with within the context of the story. It has to matter to the reader. So it's not what the writer writes. It's what the reader reads. The reader is reading to be taught something, to learn something about him or herself. And if you know, you've got something in there that doesn't do that, it's got to go. And if if it can go and leave behind a healthier manuscript, then that's what you have to do. And with these two authors, that's what they did. That's what they did. They, they made their books healthier and more resonant in, uh, in their edits and their cutting. And I think if an author has a clear view in mind who their audience is, who's going to read this book, who is the market, that's going to help direct some of that, the, the notes and the reading and the re- rewrites and the edits because they know who their reader is. If you don't have a clear idea of who your reader is, your writing could be all over the place. 
And, and sometimes it helps if you have a, a person you trust, a friend, family member, somebody that reads it first and can give you some good feedback there, even maybe before you bring it to us. So it's tighter. It's And somebody that you trust that will give that will tell you the truth. It's sometimes hard to handle objective criticism, if there is such a thing. And you need to know where it's missing the mark. Because I write things sometimes and I think, oh, that makes perfect sense. But it's in my own head. And Robert comes back and, and told me today, there's a sentence you had that didn't make any sense until you, what, fixed commas and changed a, the word? Yeah, I took a comma out from where you had it, put it somewhere else, and took the word that out of it. And suddenly the, it infle- sense. the inflection changed on the sentence. And Melanie Zimmerman, who was trying to work through the sentence, said, oh, now I understand what he was trying to say. And it's just in that inflection, that yeah. inflection point in the sentence. I thought it was clean as hospital cotton when I wrote it, but it wasn't. <laughs> so, why don't we go through some of the go through the process, if we can, of what happens when you submit that manuscript? Once you're good with it, and you're willing to let it go and let it grow, what happens next? Well, once we get, let's say, we get a. Um, a submitted manuscript with that email that tells us who the market is and when their publishing deadlines are, if they've published with, if it's out to publish with other houses, etc. I am typically the acquisitions queen, if you will. I get the <laughs> manuscript, and at that point, I may send it to a professional reader or two just to make sure. Okay, my eyes see this the way I see it. Once we assume that this is something we we could consider, I send it to three of our editors. And we have them look it over, and they give me some feedback like, yeah, we definitely want to do this. And at that point, we let the author know we're going to go forward with this, and we send them a contract. And then the editors start to do their thing. And I'm going to let Robert talk a little bit more about that editing process because he's deeply involved in that. I just know once we say it's a green light, we're going with it. Then I pass it off to our little magic genie editors, and they do their magic. And don't forget the tax thing. They got to have their W-9, too. Well, yeah. Got to have the tax thing. It's part of the whole contract. It's part of the whole contract. If you want your royalties, you'll do a W-9. Yeah, if you want your royalties, you have to have your W-9. But, um, yeah, it's like that. It comes in, uh, and you have to remember that's the protocol. Um, I know a lot of y'all will like to get in touch with me, or you'll get in touch with Richard Aller or Tim Peeler and say, like, you know, but you got to go through Patty. (laughs) <laughs> okay, Patty is our project uh, poobah, and she has to know what's going on. So she gets it, she sends it to us, we take a look at it, we decide whether it's going to go or not. Uh, it's assigned to an editor who then, you know, goes in it and checks for resonance, checks for, you know, whether no matter what it is, whether it's history, poetry, memoir. It comes back to me in Microsoft uh, doc form. And if everything is okay in the manuscript, it winds up going to layout. And when we take it to layout, uh, we utilize software from Adobe called uh, InDesign to lay it out, add any images, cute things like page numbers and headers and things like that. And then it goes through uh, several revision processes. Uh, PDF revisions are sent to uh, the author who then looks over them. After we've got all those major revisions out of the way, we do a print proof. That is, uh, we get in a print proof here for each one of us to look at. We send print proofs to the author to where they can see what the book looks like. And that also includes the cover because the cover is going on concurrently with the internal aspects of the manuscript. And then eventually you wind up where 
you're taking stuff out that you previously put in and you're done. <laughs> and it's time to push the button and publish that bad boy. Did I, I like, cover everything all right? In yeah, and I did like the last part where you mentioned when you start taking out things that they've that the author has already taken out, but now they've put it back in, that's when we know it's it's over. You yeah, know? and that happens quite a bit. It happened today. Yeah. You know, I had a descriptive word for uh, the rear of a car and had it changed, and then ha- and it he had me put back what he had me change the name of it the last time, and I was like, well, dude, this is it. Our revision time <laughs> is finished. <laughs> it's time to quit. And that's a hard part. I get it. You know, whether you're doing graphic art, visual art, performing arts, literary arts, you never know as an artist when you're done. That's what we're here for. We'll let you know when you're done, you know, because we've got that fine eye and we're keeping in mind of your reader. We know that it's it, we're at the end times now and it's time to publish. And I am really sad to say this, but there's always going to be a typo slip through. Your Aunt Jenny is going to find it at the family reunion and say, you know, on page 117, you misspelled this word. And but because it always happens, it happens at the big publishing houses, it happens everywhere. So uh, you can't be perfect. There's no such thing as perfection. But most people, when they read, they read three or four words at a time and they don't see it. They go right over it, except for Aunt Jenny, who's going to find every imperfection in anything you've ever done. I see so. it. I see them in Random House and Simon <laughs> Schuster, and it makes me smile when I see them. Oh, yeah. So it, yeah. it does happen. I always yeah. get a pencil and circle it and go, like, ha ah. <laughs> You know, like like the kid in The Simpsons. Ha ha! You you screwed it up too. Sometimes it takes. You know, you're talking about timelines of a month versus three or four months. Sometimes it takes even longer, uh, based upon what the elements are. So it could be. I mean, we've we've had books that have taken a year to get published because of revisions and other considerations like acquiring images and all those kind of things that go into a book do not necessarily move as fast or as smoothly as the author wants them to. And sometimes there's rights. I mean, you know, there was a there was song lyrics in a book that we're working on for a memoir that, you know, it took two months. The the author decided that she wanted to spend on the uh, acquiring the rights for the for the uh, lyrics and it took two months right before Christmas to be able to get in touch with the song publisher, get in touch with the handler that does it, you know, make sure that everybody got paid to be able to use those rights. Same thing works with uh, with photographs and images. Just because it's on the internet doesn't mean you can just put it in your book. <laughs> yeah, if, if I'm not mistaken, Robert, um, I think we did an essay, essayist, um, one of her books. She had a photograph of somebody and she couldn't get the permission for the person to be in the photo. So we had to pixelate it. Yeah, I can't remember if I pixelated it or put a black bark over it or <laughs> cut her out or erased her or Crop. something. Crop it out. I did something something to her. And what was funny about that was was the picture was so old, I accidentally cropped out the author. I've cropped out the wrong person. <laughs> I told her, I said, like, I thought that was you. She goes, like, no, I'm the one that you erased. And I was like, oops. <laughs> so, yeah, acknowledgments, um, getting permissions, those are important, especially if you're a poet and you've been previously published. We like to make sure that we have the, the right to put it into your collection. So there's a lot that goes into it. So you can understand, too, why sometimes it might take longer than you think it should for all these things to come together in this piece of literature that you are putting together. 
That gives you an idea of the nuts and bolts of the thing. Next time, let's talk about the promotional side of it because we really partner with our riders to help get the word out there. And that's a, a bit of a tricky path at times, too. So thanks for being here. We will see you next time on Red Pub Pod. Red Pub Pod. Red Pub Pod. <laughs> I got it wrong last time. So. I, had to, I had to think this time. <laughs> You've been listening to Red Pub Pod. Red Pub Pod. Red Pub Pod. A podcast from Red Hog Publications. Red Pub Pop. Red Pub Pot. <laughs>